I'm here today just having the woman flu came into my house. And of course, all you men know that when the woman flu transfers to the man flu, it's 10 times worse, right? <laughs> all the men said? Amen. Yeah, come on. All the women said? <laughs> Hard enough. <laughs> So that's what I'm doing. I'm here today. I'm, I'm being hardened up by the Wellington weather. So I left a beautiful sunny Auckland and arrived here to a bit of a chill. And uh, all my suspicions, not, not only do you have a team, a rugby team called Hurricanes, which kind of defines the weather, you know, around this place. But I was walking up Willis Street and uh, and I came upon a shop which further confirmed all my suspicions. It's called Hurricane Denim. That in Wellington they have specially made and fabricated jeans that will sustain the weather, the hurricane-like weather here in Wellington. So it's there, mate. I'm sorry. It's just there's the proof right there. So here we are. Thank you, Father. I'm sorry my wife is not here today. She's, um, she's in the house back in Auckland at Faith Point Church, and we bring our greetings. She brings her love to you today. She loves this place, and she loves um, the people here, and so she just wants to say hi and just impart that to you today. But I just want to take a quick moment just to pray an arrow prayer to the Lord, and let's just ask the Father to do something in our hearts this morning. Lord, I thank you that we're all standing here by grace today. And Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful. It's quick and powerful. It's quick. It has the ability to get into places in our lives that no man can ever gain entrance to. It's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides between what is soulish and what is spiritual. And so this morning, Lord, I pray the power of your word would come right deep into our heart and our spirit. And that Holy Spirit, you will sovereignly work a work within our hearts today. My heart's cry, Lord, today is that people will know you and the power of your resurrection and that they will come into contact and experience with you today in Jesus' name. Help me, Lord. Give me strength and the ability to impart your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when a person becomes a Christian, they automatically enter into an identity crisis. You know why? Because you are not who you thought you were. And the reality is, is that we are not what we were led to believe we were. And so we've got a sorting out of identity issues that take place within our life. And that's what so much of the, the push and pull and the, the struggle that we sometimes have as believers is we're working out who we are. We're working out what's been given to us that's been obtained by the champion of heaven, Jesus Christ what he's purchased on our behalf, what he's won freely for us. And then when we discover it, we can begin to walk in it. So I want to talk to you today about experientially accessing the Father's love and the Father's heart. God has dramatically moved in my life since first coming to Christ as a 20-year-old young man. And over the years, I've become more and more convinced that our real battle is not with the intellect and fighting with one another as Christians in front of a world that's watching on thinking, you Muppets, what are you doing? I thought you guys were supposed to be one, and here you are with intellectual debates over doctrine. Whereas the purpose of heaven, as we saw this morning in the singing, the purpose of heaven is that, that God didn't want a heaven without us, so he brought heaven down. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it's already being done in heaven. To bring the full manifestation of who God is in heaven to the realms of the earth. And to discover the true nature of who he really is. That comes not by just intellect, 
And I'm not dumbing down people who may be extraordinarily bright here today. That's a gift from God as well. If you have a high IQ today, you're tremendously blessed. Maybe those that live with you may struggle with it. But the reality is, is that God's purpose in the earth is that mankind will know him. So we're going to go to a nice little scripture this morning to start off with, with 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I guarantee this scripture has been preached in this house before. Verse 7 of chapter 4, 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Wow. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The Bible doesn't tell us anywhere in a description of the nature of God, God is power. Is God powerful? He's all-powerful. But the description of Scripture that God gives to us is God is love. And everyone who loves truly is born of God and knows God. So when you've experienced God, did you hear that? Not when you learnt about Him. Not when your intellect was taught the Ten Commandments. But when you experience God... You are then able to love people. And the nature of God is love. Heaven is a place that's filled with love. And that love, God's cup runs over down here into the earth for us to experience the love of the Father. Everything that God does is moved by love. And notice here, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And this word know is not the word to understand, but it means to experience. It means to experience Him. So if you have experienced God, then the natural outcome in your life is that you will all of a sudden be able to love people like you never believed possible within your life. Now, how, how much do we need that, friends? Because the human race is so bent and twisted and filled with its flaws that the only thing that's truly going to be able to sort us out, so to speak, is that we have an unconditional power within our lives to go the first mile, the second mile, the third mile, to forgive seven times, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, unconditional forgiveness. The, conditional, the conditions on the Lord's Prayer being answered within your life and the following verses when God says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, amen, are conditional upon this. But if you then, being men, don't forgive those, then how can God forgive you? How can you forgive people who have wronged you? How can you forgive people who have hurt you? How can you forgive people who have abused you? You can't accept that you know and experience a love that's beyond your natural capabilities. So, here we go. Here's the acid test then. The reality of our relationship with God today is revealed by how we treat people. Just praying the sinner's prayer doesn't qualify you to fulfill this verse. That's the first step. The second, third, and fourth, fifth steps is about placing yourself in a position where you can experience the tangible, manifest presence of God that will release love into our hearts today. And so the Bible basically says out of these verses, if you can't love the person sitting next to you, how can you say that you love God? So in other words, you can measure your love for God. I thought that was an intangible reality. No, it's a tangible reality because the Bible says that if you can't love the person sitting next to you, how can you love God? 
Wow. So my question to you today is this. How can we experience this love that we're talking about today? Because I don't want to just come as a theologian today. I want to come to set a platform this morning for some of us to have a fresh encounter with the love of the Father. I'm into God being present in the moment. I'm into God turning up when the church gathers together. And because God has so transformed my life and turned me upside down and inside out, the reality of that transformation is something that God wants for every single person. So we understand today that God is not only omnipotent, He's all-powerful, but we also understand that He's omnipresent. Amen? Right now, there is no place you can go in the earth where He is not. He's everywhere, okay? But that doesn't mean that His presence is manifest everywhere. So we have the omnipresence of God, and then we have the manifest presence of God. And when the manifest presence of God turns up in your life, some substantial things begin to change when the manifest, tangible presence of God turns up. So many of us want to know that manifest presence of God in our life more and more. Not that Christianity is reduced down to a feeling or an experience, because that would be wrong too. But friends, the reality, is this not a reality? If you are the most powerful person in the universe, would you not then want people to experience who you are, especially if you are love? God wants us to experience this this love, this presence, this power. He wants to manifest himself in such a way that we can experience him today. And Egypt is a story. Uh, The Exodus is a story of the children of Israel exiting a place of slavery to sin, a place of bondage, a place where their identity was found by how many bricks they could make, by what they could do for on behalf of Pharaoh. It wasn't defined by who they were as a chosen people, a precious people, a people called by name. So for 400 years, the children of Israel operated with a slave mentality. And then God found a man. And this man's life was characterized by one thing. He wanted more of God. His name was Moses. And Moses was the one that we sing about who cried out, show me your glory. And God took him in his hand and placed him in the cleft of the rock and just turned his back because he couldn't see his face. It would be too much for him. And this man, Moses, had an insatiable desire and hunger, not to know about God, but to know him and to experience him. And he's a prototype. Not only is he a type of Jesus Christ as our high intercessor and priest, but he's a prototype of who the church has called us to be. He was an intercessor. He was a priest. He knew how to connect with God. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, the tangible manifest presence turned up in Moses' life because of this insatiable hunger and thirst to know God in a real and tangible way. Are you with me, church, this morning? So God calls him and gives him his assignment. He never realizes the assignment is so big. And he says, I want you to lead these two million people out of slavery, and I want you to take them to the promised land. And Moses is freaking out. He knows they're slaves. He knows they've been under the thumb for 400 years. He knows their mindset is all out of kilter. And yet God's given him this assignment. And he says, God, I can't do this on my own. I need help. Who are you going to send to help me with this assignment? And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, the Lord responds to Moses. He says, my presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. So today, as we tackle the subject of accessing the heart of the Father, accessing the Father's love today. I want to tell you the first step that God has for all of our lives is that He wants to release the manifest presence of Himself into the midst of His people and right into the center of your heart 
and my heart. And you know what happens? There's a number of things that happen when the manifest presence of God turns up in your life. God says here, the main sign that you're going to get when this happens is that I'm going to give you rest. How much of not just the world, but does the church need to experience the rest of God? Paul, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews describes the rest as this, when we cease from our own strivings, where we come to the place where we can rely on him to be the rudder for our lives, where we can rely on God to direct us, to guide us, to lead us, where there's a place where fear and anxiety have no part of us, where there's a place where those, those giants in the land that so regularly come knocking on your door, when the billites turn up in the mail and you freak out thinking that the power bill's an offer on your house. <laughs> if his presence is there, there's just rest. Thank you, Father. This is an abnormally high power bill. I don't know where it's not in my budget. But because your presence was with me, I have nothing to fear. I shall fear no evil for your rod and staff. They comfort me. I know you, Daddy, Papa. You're here with me. When that relationship starts going awry, when your kids start walking away from God, when things in your life that you never thought would happen begin to happen, that there can be a a peace that runs like a river so deep within your heart because you, you don't just know about God. You've met him. You know him. There there is a manifest presence of God where God says, I'll give you rest. You need that. I need that. Let's not kid ourselves today with the extreme pressures that's coming on our world right now. I was reading a blog from Joel Rosenberg yesterday. And as I was reading the blog, he said, said, friends, has has, has a switch been hit in the world? In the last month, is there a switch that something's happened where the acceleration of end times activity has just gone to a whole new degree? Yes, it has. We have the largest hurricane that's ever been recorded in the Atlantic Ocean bearing down on the United States right now, wreaking havoc wherever it goes. Not only that, there's another hurricane right behind it where not only have they just, they, they're just finding calm and, and, and not so much peace, but calm and the weather's just gone still, and then they're told, get ready, in a few hours there's another one coming. Can you imagine how devastating that would be if you didn't have Father's love in your life and understanding and manifest presence that even though all these things shall happen at the end of the age, He's still with you? Where you've got madmen, getting ready to press big red buttons where you've got a guy that's testing nuclear capabilities who's been raised playing NBA, NBA PlayStation games. And to him, it's like hitting the PlayStation button to send that nuke off over continents and nations. Where we've got so much instability in the world today, friends, I want to tell you, we don't just need the manifest presence. We must have the manifest presence where there is a rest and a peace about us, where all your workmates are freaking out, where you're all talking in the smoko room about all this nutty stuff with Trump and Kim Jong-un and all these guys going on and going off all around about you, where you can come into that room and you can manifest a peace that passes all understanding. Because you've met the Father. You've experienced His peace. Peace like a river. Whoa, thank you, Father. You know, I find today that the most common issue for young people is fear and anxiety. I've just seen it so much in the last couple of years where young 20-year-olds, 20-somethings, are just, just getting battered with depression and oppression and, and antidepressants. And, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. So, you know, that can, be a, that can be a therapy. That can be something for you while you're getting yourself. But what I'm finding is that there's an escalation of mental illness. There's an escalation of problems that are going on, attacking the minds of this next generation. And so when we experience these things, these powerful 
very real negative emotions and issues that are tackling that are tackling us around the ankles and dropping us like flies. We've got to ask ourselves the question, has there been a disconnect somewhere in our life where we're no longer surrounded by the manifest presence of the Lord? There's some things that come when the manifest presence comes. The first thing that you'll find is peace. In fact, it's one of the clearest ways in any Christian's life that you begin to realize that something's not quite right in your life when you've lost that peace, that sense of calmness, that sense of rest, and it's time to do an immediate internal stock take. Amen, church? What is it, Lord? What territory have I gone into that I shouldn't have gone into? What relationship button have I touched that I shouldn't have touched? Because right now, I'm not experiencing that manifest presence of your peace within my life. And you've been robbed of something that is an inheritance that belongs to you. You'll find there's a joy that comes with the manifest presence of God. Psalm 16 verse 11, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A sign that you're living in the manifest presence of God is that there is not an inner happiness, because happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy isn't. Joy is not dependent on how good or bad things are going in my life. Joy is an inner, unshakable, tangible reality of Father's presence in your life that will cause you to keep a smile on your dial no matter what is going on in your week. Can you say amen to that today? God wants His people to be the most joyful people on the planet. And in fact, when I got saved, one of the manifestations of the joy of the Lord on my life was that the boss that used to regularly, that I was uh, directly under my supervisor, him and I nearly came to blows several times because I was a fiery redhead. And, uh, and so I used to spark up pretty quickly. And we often came to, to offering a five-fold knuckle sandwich to one another. And after I got saved and one day I burst into work and, and I said to them, wow, you should see this. I can speak in tongues. And they're all looking cross-eyed at me like, what, what alien has climbed inside you? <laughs> but you see, they couldn't take away the reality of his presence in my life. So six months after I came to know Jesus, my supervisor came to know Jesus. He met a Christian girl. He'd had a broken marriage. He met a Christian girl. He was very cynical, sarcastic. He came to Christ. He became a different man, and he married a lovely Christian girl. God's people are supposed to be the most joyful people on the planet. And when people see that in you, instead of griping, moaning, complaining, do you know how much of a bad witness that is in your life? When you're at work and you just join in with the sarcastic, cynical comments that everybody else is making. Why is that? Because somehow there's a disconnect, friends, that's happened in our lives from the manifest presence of God. Because if we're connecting with Daddy, with Abba Father, with Papa, our Daddy... Our Father. You know, that was so foreign when Jesus taught them how to pray. The disciples saw how powerful Jesus Christ was in prayer, that every time he went away to pray, he came back. He was filled and overflowing with the Spirit. There was joy unspeakable over his life. He knew exactly where he was supposed to go, what he was supposed to say, because he said, I don't speak the things that I want to speak. I speak the words that my Father has given to me. I don't come with my own authority. I come with the authority of the Father directly from heaven. I never speak on my own accord, but I always speak the things that he should, because me and my father, you know what? We're one. Wow. <laughs> and so wherever he goes, there's this manifestation, and they see how powerful they are, and then they come and say, Lord, we want to be like you. Teach us how to pray. How should we pray? And he says, pray like this. Our daddy. Papa. You know, God known as Father in the Old Testament, there's only about five or six mentions of God as Father in the Old Testament. This was so foreign to a Jew. 
that these 12 disciples are now being tutored and, and taught by the master himself. If you want access to the tangible presence of God, you need to get to know daddy. You need to experience God as your father. A third thing that happens to us when the presence of God comes around us is that we experience an incredible refreshing. Acts 3.19, repent therefore. That means, that means if you're not refreshed, if you're striving and you're struggling within your life, you're uptight. Everybody knows you're uptight. Hey, just leave him alone. Leave him to himself. He's really touchy at the moment. We don't want the volcano erupting. So we leave him or we leave her to themselves. So uptight. And this verse says, repent, therefore, change the way that you're thinking about your life. Be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So that times of refreshing may come from where? The presence of the Lord. And this word refreshing literally means when somebody experiences an asthma attack, and their airways close up, they become tight, they become restricted in their breathing, they become anxious. Well, the word refreshing is the exact opposite to that feeling, where you're loosed, you're relaxed, you're free. You're able to, 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 as it were, break out in a sense of the spring day coming upon your life. That's what it means, and that refreshing comes from where? The presence of the Lord, God turning up in our lives and there is a refreshing. And the fourth one is love, a deep inner knowing that you are loved and highly valued by God. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more. I want to take you to the day that Jesus started his ministry. The longer I've been a preacher, the more I'm going back to Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you cannot go wrong. They will display the ultimate model of what it means to be like Jesus as we read about the way he engaged the world, the way that he lived his life. And this is what I find fascinating. Jesus never did one miracle, one act of supernatural service until it was his appointed time to be released by the Father. And his ministry begins with an encounter with the Father. So there's a message right there and then. Before he's done anything, the Father says, I'm going to tee it up on your water baptism that I'm going to manifest myself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, all going to turn up in one encounter where you're going to experience the love of the Father and I'm going to prepare you to get ready to minister to people in my power and in my love. Luke 3, 21, when all the people who were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son and you, I am well pleased. Here's a couple of amazing verses that we see here this morning. This is an outpouring. This is, a, this is nothing less than an encounter. This is a supernatural manifestation of God on Jesus' ministry. And you're all saying, yeah, but that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus, I'm me. Friends, I want to tell you today, the same inheritance that Jesus had belongs to you today. You are already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You have already obtained an inheritance that's been purchased on your behalf. Everything that you see for Christ is for you. So what's the first thing that we see here the first thing is that we see is that God grants Jesus access to heaven. Out of this encounter, heaven is opened to the Son of God. Who's in heaven? The Father. So Jesus' first uh, imprint, divine imprint on his life, coming into ministry and being effective for God, is that he now has open access to heaven. At the end of John chapter 1, the first chapter, the Bible says, Jesus said this, Do you think this is amazing, Nathaniel, that I saw you under the tree and I saw what was going on through word of knowledge? 
I want to tell you, you're going to see even more amazing things. You're going to see the angels of heaven ascending and descending upon the ministry of the Son of Man. So what are we saying today? We're saying that Jesus had constant access to the Father throughout his time of ministry here on the earth. The heavens were open. Secondly, we see that the touch of the Father came on his life. There was something tangible. There was something real. The Father opens the heavens, releases the Spirit like a dove, comes down upon Jesus, and the power of God and the power of his love is all over Jesus Christ. Why does it mean that we're so afraid of touch? Jesus was always touching people. Do you know why? Because he knew the touch of the Father. And because his relationship was so secure and so powerful, he knew his identity as a son. He was able then to reach out with a sovereign touch. And I'm talking about appropriate touch here in ministry. And when we touch people and we're carrying his love, expect to get something. That's what the ministry of the laying on of hands is all about. There is a divine impartation that is tangible, that is real. I'll never forget the day that uh, one of the mighty men of God in New Zealand was praying for me in a men's ministry meeting, and he came along to me, and he simply grabbed me by the hand, and it was like 20,000 volts from a transformer went through my body. And I was zapped by the power of God, just kapow, out on the ground. And I know what it feels like, because when I was a kid, I was a tutu. You know what a tutu is? Mothers, mothers don't ever have sons that are tutus. And so when my parents got their house built after they were married, we had these things on the wall, these little black things that covered the electrical wires for later on if they wanted to install a light into the wall. And so me being a tutu, I unscrewed it one day as a kid, and I saw these bright colored wires in there. So I put my hand inside, and then I woke up on the other side of the room, (laughs) and I got thumped by those 240 volts of electricity that were flowing through my body. And I want to tell you, this, this tangible, powerful thing is this man of God grabbed me by the hands that day and the impartation of the power of God just went like 50,000 volts going through my body. It was incredible. And, uh, and the Lord, you know, imparted something very powerful into my life. You see, the problem, friends, is that many of us have grown up with a distant father. A father that never displayed emotion. Possibly a post-war father whose role was to provide the paycheck. And in that era, that's what a good father did. He just provided for his family, but he never knew how to emotionally connect with his sons and daughters. And so when we've grown up with a, a, a role model of a father who's distant and far off and never really there or around you, then we don't know what it's like to experience the touch of a father. God wants to change that in our lives today. The third third thing that we see here is that there were words of love and affirmation that came from the father. This is my beloved son. This is the son I love. And I am well pleased. How many of you, just just by quick hand survey today, how many of you grew up with your father affirming you and verbally telling you how much he loved you on a regular basis. Can I see your hands? That's about uh, 25%. That's 75% of you that have never really known the affirming words of a father telling you on a regular basis how much he loved you and how pleased he was with you. Can I remind us this morning, friends, that this wasn't an affirmation based on performance. Jesus had not even started his ministry when he heard these words. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased about what? Because you are. Because you exist. Because you're worth it. And so, friends, these words are like food to the spirit of a son or a daughter of God. They establish within us. They establish a confidence They establish an identity 
as children of God when we hear the loving? What is your self-talk like? Can I ask you that today? What sort of tapes are you replaying in your mind? I shouldn't say that anymore, should I say? What sort of digital MP3s are you playing through your mind? So the next generation can understand. What's a tape? (laughs) You know one of those Walkman things that used to press the buttons? You know? What sort of tapes, what sort of recordings... Are you replaying through your mind about how you see? Do you see yourself as one who is loved? Do you regularly tell yourself on a daily basis or a regular basis through the course of any given week, thank you, Lord, that you love me. Thank you, Father, that I'm so loved. I'm so loved that I'm unconditionally loved, that I'm loved without any conditions or terms upon my life because you value me and you love me as a son and as a daughter. We got the wrong message just going through. I've blown it again. I've let you down again. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm nothing. I've sinned again against you, Lord. I'm hopeless. I'll never be any good. And then you get a distant father who never knows how to appropriately touch you and affirm you and and tell you how much he loves you. And on top of that, you've got somebody that's telling you you're never going to be any good. You're a failure. Do you know how destructive that is to the fabric of a human soul? It will kill any semblance of spiritual life within you. And you're forever trying to find out who you are with this identity crisis because you haven't known the love of a father. Many, many do not know this love of a father today. You know, I'm very grateful that I've had several major encounters with the Father in my time as a, at that, that have completely affirmed my identity as a child of God. You know, otherwise I would be a very dangerous pastor. You know, pastors who don't know who they are in Christ, they're insecure, they're lacking confidence, and they're trying to get noticed by growing the biggest church or the best church. They're a dangerous breed, friends. Because you become their stepladder and their platform. They're stepping up on what, how good you're doing on their behalf in order to gain an identity. That's a wrecking ball in motion. And so that's why I believe right now that there's a dealing going on with the sons of God around the world with people who are in ministry. Because we need to experience this love that will radically change our ministries. And instead of driving the flock to do better, bigger, greater things, bigger churches, more attendance, by which we gain our identity and by which our identity is affirmed, instead of just simply knowing the love of our Heavenly Father, affirming us daily that we don't need any of that external affirmation. Are you with me, church? So... You know, I, when I grew up, let me just diverse just for a moment. My father was, he was a caring man in the sense that he wasn't brutal, he didn't beat us, but he was a busy farmer and he was always working and he was a heavy drinker and there were lots of things that were going on in him and my mum's life that I didn't even know about, but the, the best way to try and get through all of that was to ship him off to boarding school. So I left home at 11 to go to a private boarding school, of which I basically remained aloof from my father and separated from him until the age of 17 or 18 years of old, being in an institution where you don't have fathers, you have prefects, you have schoolmasters who don't really treat you with a father's love. And you grow up with this empty ache of wanting to be affirmed, wanting to have an internal confidence. And so because you don't go it, you go searching for it in other places. Amen? And when I came to Christ, the first one in my family, we didn't have any Christianity in my family. And when I came to Christ and I came to know the Lord, I was involved in running a big tent meeting convention on a marae. And my dad had come to the Lord through a series of incredible miracles, both him and his partner, 
And I invited them to the meeting and they came to the meeting and we were in the worship and, and I was on the front row and I was just singing away. I wasn't a pastor yet, but I was heavily involved in serving in the church. And as we were worshiping, the Lord said to me, I want you to go back and tell your fa- and apologize to your father for being a rotten son. You know, I argued black and blue with the Holy Spirit. I said to him, I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, what do you mean, God? I said, he hasn't exactly been the most wonderful father. You, you realize that, don't you? Can I just give you a little bit of a bullet list here of all the things that have happened? Just to remind you that this is, you know, not completely one-sided. And, the, and, the, and you know what happens eh, when you try and argue with God? He's just solid. I am the Lord and I do not budge. And it's just sitting in the bottom of my spirit. And so it's just getting more and more uncomfortable for me. So I slip out of my seat and I go right round the back of the audience and then I go up the center aisle and my dad was about halfway up on the aisle and I just nudged in next to him. And you've got to remember, we're only just getting to know each other. And I'm just at this point in time, this is complete obedience. And my dad was about the same height as me, maybe a bit taller. And, and I turned to him and I go, Dad, I want to ask your forgiveness for being a rotten son. My dad looked at me, piercing blue eyes, that filled with tears. He grabbed me. He wouldn't let me go and he just began to weep. And weep, weep, that out of my obedience, the father opened a relationship with my dad that I had right until the time that he went to be with the Lord. And God restored my earthly relationship with my father. You see, friends, whether you've, there's some here today, you'll never have that opportunity because your dad's gone. And he mightn't be the most... The useless father, he might have been the worst dad. But remember, he had issues too. We've got to remember that. Abused people abuse people. Often we're in an abusive relationship with our fathers to us as kids, and we don't realize that there's actually a reason for it. And so how do you fix it? Well, you don't fix it by trying to go beyond the grave and get in contact with your dad. Because all you're going to get in contact there is is a familiar spirit sent by the devil that's going to cause major havoc in your life. What you need is the manifest presence of your heavenly Father, experiencing Him now, today, in your life. You know, what does this teach us with Jesus and His encounter with the Father? It teaches us this one thing, friends, is that intimacy and relationship with the Father comes before anything else. It comes before all ministry. It comes before all serving Our ministry comes out of our intimacy with Papa, with our dad. Do you have that kind of intimacy today? Do you want that kind of intimacy today with your father, with your Papa, with your Abba, your daddy in heaven? And one of the sure signs that we don't have it, friends, is that when we're running around doing, 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 we're running around serving, serving, serving. Now that's okay. Because you can still do that when you've got intimacy with the Father. But this is what happens is you run around like Martha, and this is what happens is you begin to complain about everything. You can't serve without complaint. And you start moaning and growing about so-and-so didn't turn up on the roster, and I had to step in for them, and it's not fair. I did it the last three weeks, and here I am. I have to do it again. And your whole attitude is one that is just stenching and stinking of the absence of intimacy with your father. What was Martha's problem, friends, as she complained about her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus? What was her problem? Her problem, friends, is that she had disconnected from the presence of God. And as a result, she served, but she did it with complaining. A sure sign that intimacy has gone AWOL within our life today. 
You know, when the devil attacked Jesus Christ, not long after this baptism, he fasted 40 days. The Spirit sent him into the wilderness, into the desert. The Spirit will sometimes do that, you know. He'll send you into a wilderness experience so that you're not living by feelings, but you're walking by faith in the revelation truths of the Scripture. And sometimes the only place that you can find them is when God takes away all the props in our lives so that we can actually experience the reality of Him. So the Father sends Jesus after this encounter into the desert, and the devil comes to him, and this is the first thing the devil attacks. It's an identity attack. It's it's an attack on Christ's identity. It says, prove that you're the Son of God by turning these stones into bread. In other words, prove who you are by what you do, not by who you are. Wow. Well, Satan... I don't have to prove to you that I'm the son of God because right now I'm, I'm even though I haven't eaten for 40 days, even though I'm out in the, in the desert, in the middle of the desert, I have a relationship with Papa and it doesn't matter what you throw at me, I'm connected to him and because I'm connected to him, there's nothing that you can do or say or throw towards me that's going to cause this connection, this umbilical cord with heaven to break. We are solid. And so the Lord rebuked him. I want to finish the message today because I've gone on long enough this morning. So I'm skipping a whole lot of stuff today. It's really, I've got two messages in one today, so I just want to skip through a whole lot of stuff today. But I I really want us to capture the heart of this message. God set the prototype for all of the stuff I'm talking about in a garden called Eden. This was his number one prototype. This was his original design that he had. And he made this incredible place. It was a beautiful place. There were no rules or regulations except for one. It wasn't a place of thou shalt not, thou shalt do this. It wasn't a place like that. It was a place where every day God came down at an appointed time and met with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and he fellowship, and they had intimacy with the Father. Wow. That's the original design. Let's go back. Where everything starts breaking down our lives, let's go back to the original plan. Here's the original plan here, except God says, oh, I don't want to be late, because I'm never late. I'm always on time. It's time to go and see Adam. Can't wait. Can't wait. He's always been waiting there for me. You know, think about that. Sometimes when you get up in the morning, And you've taken that extra half hour to sleep in because you just needed those extra nods and those extra Zs. And you rush out the door, grab a bit of breakfast, and you're on the way into your busy way. And you know what? The Father was waiting for you in the living room. And just went straight past him because you never made room for him. So So he turns up, and Adam's not there. He's AWOL. Adam's not there. This is the first time this has ever happened. He's not there. And God says, where are you, Adam? And Adam had disappeared. He disappeared because why? He'd eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one thing he was told not to do. And he partook of that. And in doing so, suddenly he was filled with shame And he was guilt-ridden in his life for the first time ever. And so what do we do when we're driven by shame and guilt? We hide from the Father. And we run from God instead of running to him. God asked him three questions, and here's three questions I want to finish asking you today. The first question was, Adam, where are you? This is the relationship question. Adam, where are you? You've always been here. My desire is for intimacy with you. What has happened that you can no longer meet with me and relate with me the way that we always had? Can I ask you that question today? Where are you in relationship to the Father? Second question is this. By the way, By the way, when we try and hide it, we try and fake it, we're building 
an illusion. And we're building a false image for other people because we don't want people to know that we're really struggling. So we become inauthentic followers of Jesus Christ. Stop waving your hands in worship and get on your knees and begin to get real with God to deal with the issues that are going on in your heart. Second question, who told you that you were naked? This is the influence question. First question, where are you, Adam? Second question, who told you? Who's been influencing your mind, Adam? Who's been influencing your heart? Who's been putting the poison in your mind that you would reject intimacy with me and go and look in other places where you would find yourself hiding from my presence because of the shame and the guilt that's around about your life? Who told you, Adam? And a lot of people feel that way about God. They're afraid and scared because they have been given a wrong message about who he is. He's the God of all love. The final question this morning. Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree I told you not to? This is the responsibility question. The relation question, relationship question number one, the influence question number two, the responsibility question. How many of you know that when God sets something up in our life and we're irresponsible, that God will hold us to account? And so basically God was saying this. What is it that you have partaken of that has opened the door to these destructive emotions of fear and shame in your life? Because you know what? I can't meet with you anymore. I want to be intimate with you, but you're filled with these destructive emotions that I want to get out of your life, but I can't break through because you made a decision. You were irresponsible. The one thing I told you that you couldn't do, you went and did. And as a result, it's put distance between me, your father, and you as a child. Ah, friends. Are we ready this morning? I came from Auckland today because God has blessed me to be a blessing to you. I want to bless you today with the Father's love. I want you to experience His love. I don't want you to just hear a sermon and go home and just... Sure, I want you to think about some of the things that have been said today, but I want, I want to ask you that question, where are you? If you were to rate your intimacy levels 1 out of 10 today, 1 being distant and 10 being very intimate, how would you rate yourself today? If it's a 4 or a 3 or a 5, why is that? What destructive emotions have entered your life that have caused a lack of intimacy with Daddy? today. He wants to come to you. He wants you to visit. He wants to visit us this morning. So I wonder if we could just take a moment, perhaps if I could just have the, a couple of the musicians just to come up. And I just want us to finish with the flow. I know I've probably gone a little bit long this morning. But I don't want to rob you of the opportunity today to meet with Daddy. Friends, if you're experiencing internal struggle, you're finding it difficult to connect with your Heavenly Father today, then God wants to give you a breakthrough in your life. He wants to turn up today. And He wants to flush all that poison, all that distance all that wrong picture of daddy that you've been carrying all your life. He wants to flush it down the drain and he wants to meet with you this morning. Could we just stand to our feet for a moment? Lord, I'm just going to open up the front of this church today, the altar for you to come and alter some of us. The sacred place. Bethel, the place where Jacob met with God, the angels of God ascending and descending. He said, this is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven. Today I pray this place would be a gateway to heaven. I'm asking right now, Lord, that you would begin to move in our hearts. 
and help us be authentic and real with you today, Lord. We might be able to trick others pretty well, but we can never trick you. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you would woo us, draw us. No man can come to the Father except he comes through the Son. Today, Lord, we come through Jesus Christ to access the Father afresh. He that's seen you has seen the Father. Jesus, I pray even right now that you begin to turn up all over this place and begin to release people from the imprisonment of a false identity and a wrong knowledge and experience of Daddy. So come now, Holy Spirit. If the Lord was just our eyes closed right now, just to give an opportunity for intimacy to take place. If you would like the Father's touch to either be refreshed or perhaps for a breakthrough in your life for the first time today, why don't you quietly slip out of your seat and come to the altar? I'm going to believe God with you today that Daddy's going to turn up. And we're going to impart His love into your lives. This is a cry for intimacy. This is an anguish in our hearts that says, God, I want some reality of the Father's touch upon my life. Keep coming, friends. Keep coming. Just allow the Father's heart to touch you this morning. By coming forward, you're not saying that you've got a bad dad. But what you're saying is that I know there's more to intimacy than what I'm experiencing. And I want that for my life today. So Lord, would you do what only you can do. Father, I release your love in this place right now. And I thank you for the perfect Father of lights who's come down from heaven through his Son to now be released into every heart that responds to you today. Affirm every life in this building, Lord. Affirm every life to the sound of my voice today, Lord, with the love and the intimacy of God the Father. Papa, we call upon your name today, and I just pray your heart would be released into ours. Lord, take away the coldness, the distant perception that we have of you in our hearts. Close the gap this morning, Lord, within our lives to experience heaven. Let our cup run over this morning, Lord. For those of you that have come forward, I want you. You see, part of the reason why we can't connect with Daddy is that, is that we're not allowing our minds to be set upon what He said He has for us. And as you come forward this morning, this is one thing I want you to do. I want you to begin to open your mind to the story of the prodigal and lost son who took all of his father's money He lived a terrible, riotous life, promiscuous, immoral, wasted all of his father's resources, found himself in the pig pen wallowing in the mud. And he had a revelation where he realized that even the servants in his daddy's house were doing much better than him. And he said, I'm going to return to my father. And I want you to picture in your mind this morning, church, I want you to picture in your mind that the Bible says that even from a long way off, the father saw his son returning and he ran to his son. Can you imagine there's no mention in the Bible of him complaining about his son's stinky, smelly clothes because he's been wallowing in the mud with the pigs. There's no, there's no mention of his body odor. There's no mention of the condition of his life. There's no mention about the the anxiety that he caused him and the fact that he wasted so much of his hard-earned money. You know what he did? The Bible says he wrapped his arms around his son and he drew him close to himself. And he said, this is a day. This is a day for rejoicing. This is a day to celebrate because my son who was lost now is found. So, Lord, may you do that even now. I release the Father's love to wrap your arms around these ones. I release the power of that love to flow through every life and every heart. And, Lord, we just release the prayer ministry team now just to begin to come. 
Guys, I don't want you to engage. I just want you to stand quietly. Prayer team, if you could just come. I want you to just stand by and I want you just to simply do this. I impart Daddy's love into your heart. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to experience what heaven is like. The wonderful, unconditional, radical love that never runs out, that never runs dry as your daddy comes to you. Let him minister to you right now, right now, right now. Right now, right now, right now, Spirit of God, 